0: Hey, welcome everybody to the Stadium Journey Podcast. Thanks for joining us this evening. Uh, we're going to jump right into it. I'm going to start with the uh, starting lineups because, you know, that's what PA announcers do. So the gang's all here tonight. Dave Cottney's here. Follow him at ProFan9. Mark Viquez is on the internet at BallparkHunter. The Above Average Comedian Dan is here. Follow him at DanLaw83. And I'm Paul Baker. You could follow me at PuckManRI. RI. Tonight, we are really excited to be welcoming Neil DeMoss to the par- to the podcast. See, I got your name right, and then I messed up the words <laughs> after it.
1: Yeah, on the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast.
0: The podcast. This is now a podcast. Among other things, Neil is the co-author <laughs> of one of this pod- one of this podcast's favorite books. Now I can't say the word podcast. <laughs> one of our favorite books that we've referenced many times on this podcast, Field of Schemes, and also takes care of the website and the Twitter account, fieldofschemes.com, and Follow him on Twitter and all that good stuff. Neil, thanks for joining us tonight. Welcome.
2: Glad to be here.
3: Always happy to be on a podcast. Podcast? Podcast? podcast.
0: Yeah. Beatcast? Podcast?
3: Can you believe <laughs> that Dan let that slide, and he didn't even say pork roll?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. I thought it, and I was like, no, we're going to be no, professional. too early. I'm going to be professional, and we just started. I'm not going to do it. And then you, you just had to do it. Uh, yep.
0: Is that mm. the first time that Dave has brought up pork roll? It could be. No, it could no, be. He's done it, before. it only took no, like not. seven
1: years. No, it's not. He's done it before, <laughs> oh, and okay. uh, and then he gets mad after we've gone on for five minutes.
0: <laughs> all right. Like now, for instance. Yeah, like now. Uh-huh. All right. So let's get. We have a guest here, gentlemen. Okay. Hey, so, so Neil, can you uh, explain to our listeners, uh, we're all, the panel is all very familiar with Field of Schemes and what that's all about. Can you explain a little bit about that to our listeners who may not be so familiar
2: Yeah, sure. So the really short version of this story is back in 1995 when the Cleveland Browns were moving to Baltimore to become the Ravens and the city of Cleveland was talking about uh, getting a new stadium to get a new Browns team. And at the same time, uh, the Yankees were talking about wanting a new stadium in Manhattan. um, And uh, you know both the city of cleveland and the city of new york were in the middle of huge budget cuts and so my co-author and i joanna kagan who were friends you know we we're friends on a uh, on a little magazine in brooklyn um we we're like oh this is a cute little story you know cleveland and new york two cities that had the same thing going on and you know what a coincidence we could write a thousand words on this um and then we started researching it and it turned into um you know thousands and thousands of words uh, in a bunch of different articles and then eventually A book called Field of Schemes, um, which looks at the economics, the politics, you know, everything about uh, about uh, stadium deals. Um, And because we were like, oh, you know, hey, there's this new thing called the Web. We can actually update it, um, uh, you know, on the Internet. So we started doing, you know, little posts there, um, mostly me, because at that point, Joanna was like, you, 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 you go ahead and do this. Um, so uh, we ended up doing that and, you know, it turned into another edition of the book. And, uh, you know, it still goes on, on, gets updated on the website, you know, pretty much every day. I'm posting something about something because somehow, again, despite the fact that we're almost 30 years later now, um we still are in the same boat where it seems like there's constantly team owners demanding new stadiums and demanding public money for them and uh you know the same arguments are still going on so i feel like i still have to be out there uh responding to them and covering them so that's that's the really short version of it the long version i'm sure we can get to
0: yeah it's amazing how the issues just jump from city to city and and uh the, the names have been changed but the uh the script pretty much stays the same. Dave and I were talking before you came on like, all right, so what, what are we going to talk about with Neil when he comes on and Dave just, we could talk about uh, this place and this place and this place <laughs> and this place. Right now those. So since, since Dave's wearing an Oakland ace hat, why don't we start with the situation in Oakland then?
2: <sighs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously this has been going on for, you know, more, well over a decade at this point, right. They were going to move to Fremont. They were going to move various different places in Oakland and, um, and, uh, you know, now we're in this situation where they're, where they're supposedly maybe moving to Las Vegas, um, which it seems like, uh, you know, John Fisher just sort of stumbled into, you know, one minute he was negotiating with Oakland about trying to get, uh, I forget, it was going to be $700, dollars million, something like that in public money towards building at uh, a new stadium and, and development at Howard Terminal. And then the next minute it was, uh, you know, Dave Cavall saying, uh, oh, well, you know, we're totally focused on Las Vegas, mayor of Oakland said, Okay, fine. Don't talk to us anymore. And then it's like, oh, okay, Las Vegas, we're all in on Las Vegas. They went out, they got six hundred million dollars in public money. That's still not enough to build a dome stadium in Las Vegas. And that's where we stand. Right. That was last June. And now they've gotten approval to move. They don't actually have a stadium. They don't actually have financing for a stadium. They don't actually have a place to play for the three years it would take to build a stadium. They announced in December that they were going to have renderings of the stadium. And then they still haven't actually come out with those. So it's, it's super weird. Um, But, you know, it's not all that out of the ordinary, I guess, or unexpected for, you know, a situation that again, seems like it was something that Fisher more stumbled into
3: than uh, really had a plan for. Did I read somewhere to that? there's now speculation that the the site that they have uh earmarked which is where i think the Tropicana is uh and you know right off right b- behind the MGM or whatever that it's really not big enough yeah. a footprint for a stadium
2: that was clear kind of up front even though they weren't saying it it's, it's 9 acres and 9 acres is like you know Wrigley Field size right you could build a baseball field and stands around it for that but You know, nobody wants to spend a billion dollars building Wrigley Field in the middle of Las Vegas in the year 2024, right? So if you're, especially if you have to build the dome, which they have to because it's Las Vegas and it's hot, um, you know, they're not going to be able to fit that on that that property. And people were saying up front, you know, how is that even going to work? And they came out with these renderings last June that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And then they said, oh, no, no, those aren't the real renderings. And we're still waiting to see how it's going to work. But again, you know, this, this, they could switch to a different site. Um, there's been some talk of, well, maybe we can build over the land next door, which is going to be used right by the, by the owner of the, of the rest of the site, even though it won't be for the stadium. So the, maybe the roof can kind of go i have no idea i don't think anybody has any idea how it's going to work um and this is why it's become such a big deal of waiting for these renderings which normally you don't know, really care that much about right because they never really look like what the final product does um but uh you know again the beginning of december they were supposed to be out and they said oh you know we're going to postpone this in honor you know in memory of these uh, uh state troopers who died over the weekend and then you know, I mean, they've been memorialized now for two months now and still nothing in the latest was Fisher was saying, oh, well, hopefully by the end of February. Um, But it's it's a little bit uh, a little I mean, concerning isn't quite the right word, because, I mean, you know, clearly it's not like they don't have some renderings or some idea of what they want. I think they're just biding their time until when they think it will, you know, be in their best interest to reveal whatever it is they have to reveal. Might be a Friday at like six o'clock in the afternoon or something like that when they're like you know or the middle of the Super Bowl that might be a good time for their Hopefully, no one will be paying attention.
3: So, I I see a lot of similarities between the Oakland situation and that of the the Arizona Coyotes in that it almost seems like like I I'm, I'm sure you you've seen this where it it's almost like a poker game like this whole. owners trying to get money and, and, you know, they're, are they bluffing that they're going to move or are they really going to move? Or are they not going to move or, and and that's a whole big part of it, but it just seems like, like the Oakland athletics have gone like all in. Yep. We're all in Vegas. Well, before, you know, all the chips have been laid and all the cards are shown. And, and it seems like the coyotes are the same, you know, well, we're all in, all in Arizona. We're we're all in into staying in the state, even if we have to play play and lose our shirts on a on a forty five hundred seat arena. Like it just seems to me like they've really not followed the the path of those who've been really successful in in getting what they want from from their respective governments.
2: Meaning to play off different governments against each other, right? Yeah. And you want to say, well, we could be going here, we could be going there, but we haven't decided yet. Yeah. I mean, I don't think either of them have, those owners have handled it very well. Um, But the sort of the nice thing about being a sports team owner is you don't have to, right? Um, I'm trying to think of a good example, but there have certainly been teams that have, you know, I mean, geez, look at the at the the Washington Nationals. Right. You know, who spent years when they were the Expos, Major League Baseball was shopping around and trying to figure out, are they going to move to Portland, Oregon? Are they going to move to, you know, somebody wanted Puerto to Rico, stadium, right? Puerto Rico, Hartford, Connecticut. Right. Everything was on the table. Right. We're going to get a real bidding war going. There was no bidding war. Right. I mean, nobody really offered anything except for D.C., but the lesson here is you only need one you know, local government that is willing to play ball. Right. Um, And uh, they ended up getting exactly what they wanted. Um, You know, I think that Fisher got what he's asking for from Las Vegas. The weird thing is that he didn't really ask for enough to cover all of his costs. Um, We think, you know, it's, it's really hard to tell, but you know, the, the guy clearly is not a, business genius <laughs> um he, he runs the oakland a's after all um so I, I i'm not sure you know i guess there's probably a like world in which he's playing you know 9 dimensional chess and he's he's you know uh, got all this planned out but i don't think so you know i mean i think this is really that he was trying to play off las vegas against oakland um and uh again sort of stumbled into fell into well okay we're all in on las vegas and was able to get money out of the state of Nevada regardless. But again, that's still not where he needs to be. And now he's like, well, it's only a billion, billion dollars. You know, my family has a billion dollars. Yeah, sure, the, your family got a billion dollars by not giving it to you to spend on a stadium. that's not gonna make back a billion dollars. So I'm I'm really, really curious to see where this goes. I mean, I, I think a lot of people have been saying like 50-50 as to whether they moved to, to Vegas um, or 40-60. And I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm not good at, at uh, setting betting lines, but that's probably somewhere reasonable. You know, I would I would I would be willing to uh, to bet either side
3: on on those lines. Or is this just a case of like Major League Baseball just wants Vegas and they're going to shoehorn it? Oh, God. It? <laughs> No, 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 no. One way or the other.
2: I don't think Major League Baseball wants Vegas at all. Vegas is a tiny, tiny market. I think Major League Baseball really wants the A's situation to be settled, right? The A's and the Rays have been dragging on forever um, because, you know, in Tampa Bay, Stu Steinberg has had his own situation where, uh, you know, he has also played it very poorly. Oh, we're going to move to – we're going to ask for a new stadium in Tampa Bay and a new one in Montreal. That'll go well. Um And, you know, baseball has been saying to all the owners who are looking at the expansion fees for other sports, because, you know, baseball hasn't expanded since 1998, um, and they're looking at the expansion fees, and they're like, you know, when are we going to get some of that? And he's like, "No, no, no, don't worry, we can't do it yet, because, you know, the A's and the Rays need to have, you know, Charlotte and Portland and Las Vegas and all those cities to uh, threaten to move to, but once they're settled, then, you know, we're gonna cash in. So I think they really want that to be resolved. Um, I do not think that anybody wants Las Vegas as a, as a baseball market, especially not with John Fisher there. Cause I mean, you know, he's already said that his intent is to go there, be a small market and keep on collecting the revenue sharing checks that he's been getting in Oakland. Um, so, you know, the owners of the big market teams are not particularly gonna be happy to hear that. Um, but, you know, again, the idea is, well, we'll suck it up and we'll deal with whatever it is, as long as we get those, you know, a couple $2 billion checks for expansion franchises. Um, but you know, that for first they have to resolve this. And I think they thought it was going to be resolved by now.
0: Fascinating. So that still leaves now Oakland without anywhere to play.
2: I mean, you know, they have options. They could play in Oakland if they want to go, you know, back to the mayor of Oakland and say, uh, okay, fine, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll agree to something. They could probably try to rent from the Giants, although that would almost certainly go poorly. Um, they could play in any number of minor league stadiums like Sacramento or Salt Lake city or Vegas or, you know, all sorts of different places. Um, but, you know, Unless they don't – it's a problem, right? You don't want to go to Vegas and be playing in the minor league stadium for the first three years because that's when you're going to get the big boost from, like, you know, people really interested in seeing the team, right? By the time you open the stadium, everyone will have three years of watching the A's and will not want to go to the ballpark, <laughs> Um so, so that doesn't really work. And if you play somewhere else for three years, I mean, you know, are people again in, in Utah or Sacramento going to be excited about having the A's there as like sort of a temporary franchise? Um, you know, at least when the, the Hornets were in, uh, were in Oklahoma city for a year, um, that was sort of seen as like a, you know, a trial run, for trial, people, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, I guess maybe you could try and sell that in, in, uh, in Utah, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, it seems like there's not a lot of of upside here for the A's for Major League Baseball for John Fisher. But, you know, he's he's caught the car and needs to figure out what to do with it.
3: What what incentive would the city of Oakland have to do anything for the A's? Like, well, why would they why I mean there was the story about how um they they had a, a an independent league team that was gonna play in Oakland and they wanted to play in the Coliseum and then the A's said no. The ball I mean, if, if if I'm the if I'm the mayor of Oakland, I might just suddenly decide that there needs to be some road construction right outside the Coliseum that, that's just gonna <laughs> hinder traffic <laughs> even
2: more. I mean, it- They they can just say, no, i mean, the Coliseum, the A's lease on the Coliseum runs out at the end of the year and the city still owns half of the Coliseum. So they can just say, okay, sorry, you know, you're done. Um, I think the mayor has said that she wants um, to retain the team name and to be promised an expansion franchise, which sure, that's a reasonable ask. Um, The problem is then what happens when you say, okay, we've been promising expansion franchise and then major league baseball says, okay, you've got to find somebody who wants to spend $2 billion on expansion franchise and you need to build a stadium before this thing happens. So, um, so I mean, I think that would be the only reason to, to go along with it. Um, you know, she could also certainly try to leverage it into, look, you guys don't have a place to play. You want to expand. Why don't you just, um, you know, uh, uh, give John Fisher an expansion franchise and have him sell the team to somebody in Oakland. Um, there is some leverage yet that she could that she could play um, but of course it all depends on you know how antsy the other owners are about having to deal with this A situation for the next three or more years um, and if they are really you know at a point where they, you know, obviously they're not going to say in public, right. Because you don't want to undermine your fellow owners because someday you might need them to do the same for you when you're threatening to move somewhere. Um, But uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to know exactly how much you can extract from baseball because you don't know how scared they are of, you know, having to deal with the situation that John Fisher has laid
3: out for them. Well, I mean, they're, they're major league baseball is busy in that they, they have to, Approve the sale of the Orioles, which I mean, for me, not really following what the Orioles are doing day to day, seemed to come out of nowhere. Um Oh, but yeah. I, I I did hear a, an interview where where the local officials who have just ponied up a big chunk of dough for renovations to to Camden are are not overly pleased because you know this was not the way this was presented. It was not presented that you know the angelo's family was going to try and get out as you know as soon as possible and um and and the reality is is that you know that deal with the city changes the sale of the team because that right. team is not nearly as valuable without this this commitment in place from the from the city of baltimore to to do whatever upgrades they need in baltimore which i have no idea what that could possibly be more Mark Viquez social areas, maybe, but yeah, it's, it's
2: at least $600 million that Maryland <laughs> has committed. Plus um, they've committed to basically the Orioles new owner now can get out of the lease um, early. If there isn't an agreement within I think 10 years um, on, uh, on a uh, development of the area around Camden yards that, uh, that uh, the Orioles would get to do. Um, So yeah, I mean it makes the franchise much much more valuable, obviously. And you know the one condition that Baltimore and Maryland officials put on it was, okay, well you're not going to sell, turn around and sell the team, right? And John Angelo said, no, absolutely, we're not talk- talking about selling the team because there was a report that they were going to sell it in December. So that, you know that day, Maryland officials went to him, I think it was the tre- state treasurer, and said, you know, you're not going to sell sell it, are you? was like, no, 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 we're not looking to sell it. And then as soon as the deal was done. He announced that they were selling the team to the exact guy who had been in the paper as being looking into the buying the team. So, yeah, it's I mean, I don't know how much of a difference really it makes to to Maryland. Right. Because they're spending the money either way. But it certainly is, you know, a thumb in the eye to just straight up lie to elected officials about it. But, you know, what are you going to do? The thing's signed now. Right.
3: You know, I mean, well, the fans are happy. I mean, they didn't like the Angelos family to begin with, so. Well, I mean, I guess they did way back in the 80s when they bought them and kept them in Baltimore. But um, Peter Angelos being, you know, meddling and kind of on the cheap and a lot of years of some really crappy Orioles baseball. And, you know, what's the one constant? Well, it's the ownership. So, I mean, you know, be careful what you wish for Nobody yeah. liked the
2: CBS ownership era of the Yankees either. And <laughs> people were really happy when that guy George Steinbrenner was going to buy them.
3: <laughs> so when you're when you were talking just now about the Orioles selling, it kind of it kind of sparked a story in my head that I haven't really heard how it how it sort of played out. And and maybe you'll agree with me, maybe not. I don't know, but. The wor- to me the worst example uh, of of the government just bending over backwards to a team owner and and it it not working is the story of the Florida slash Miami Marlins who you know for years were, were building a new ballpark, years of, finally they they tore down the orange Bowl. they built the ballpark. Uh, you know, they, they, of course, after they got the ballpark, they did everything possible wrong. (laughs) You know, they, they spent a gazillion dollars on, on payroll. And then, you know, they didn't get the, the results right away. And the very next year, they, they just went from, you know, a, a mid to upper range payroll team to like one of the bottom. And then. Probably the exclamation point is that Jeffrey Loria, who I still say is the worst owner in the history of sports ever. Maybe, maybe some of those dudes in the twenties were a little worse, but I don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But he ended up selling the team. And then there was a, a, a a rider in their agreement or something like that that said the city of Miami would get a chunk of whatever appreciation there was. And then the accountants got fancy and, basically said, oh, well, the, there was no – we didn't make any money. And then, of course, the city of Miami is trying to sue him and, and whatnot. Do, uh, first of all, do you agree that this is the worst case that we've seen? And second of all, do you know where this story is at right now, or is it done, or – I mean,
2: so people are constantly asking me, what's the worst stadium deal ever? And my pat answer is always that every – unhappy stadium deal is unhappy in its own way. Um, you know, there are plenty of <laughs> awful ones, right. I mean, you know, look at the white Sox, right. Who, you know, spent all this money in Illinois to build a new stadium that was supposed to be, you know, a, a modern, better version of Comiskey park, um, and mm-hmm. got something that everybody hated and had to spend money to, uh, to renovate it. And now it looks like they're demanding another new stadium. Um, you know, or did the, Pittsburgh Pirates, right? Oh, when we get a new stadium, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be, you know, the Pirates are suddenly going to be back to the glory days and the stadium's gorgeous. Um, The Pirates are still awful, if not worse. So, um, Much you know, there are plenty delight. of bad examples. I mean, you know, I could, like with Indiana Pacers constantly getting more money every five years to re-renovate. But yeah, the Marlins are up there, right? I mean, just the fact that it was almost a billion dollars, the fact that it was, you know, it's a stadium that, despite the fact that it was replacing a stadium that nobody liked for baseball in the first place, I think maybe even fewer people like the new one. Um, The fact that the team was good for about, I don't know, a week and a half after they built it. And then immediately thereafter. Yeah. First month. Yeah. Yeah. said, Oh no, you know, we're not in first place at the end of April. Let's sell everybody, you know? (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, took like the entire team and shipped it off to Toronto for, a uh, Dainey hecheveria, I want to say. Um, and uh, so that was all awful. The, the, right, exactly the thing with the, where they were supposed to get a cut of the money when it was sold and that they're fighting over that. Um, the one thing I would add is um, the fact that they finally, since it you know, took them 10 years to fight over this thing, when they finally were ready to do it, it was right at the height of the uh, economic crisis and um, you know, interest rates were through the roof. So they ended up having to do a really terrible loan deal or bond deal on the stadium. So it's costing Miami, like, I don't know, an extra $300 million or something like that over what it should have in the first place. Um, There's not a lot of real upside there. You know, I mean, I guess if eventually the Marlins win a world series and people are happy about it, but that's not going to be because of the stadium, right? I mean, the Marlins won two world series somehow in the old stadium. Um, And, you know, so that's I I, I don't see a way that it that it that it turns out to be to be happy, a happy ending at all or even a partly happy ending. I guess Miami's going to be underwater another 15 years
3: anyway, so that could be, too. So on the flip side, then, uh, is there do you have an example uh, where. You know, they. They really did it right. The. They they had a bad stadium that really needed replacing, and you know the owners worked well with the government, and it was smooth and no problem and no threats. And is it is there an example of that, or are they all just nightmares? Uh, Just baseball, or all sports? Anything.
2: I mean, there are some better ones, right? I mean, the Warriors just built a new arena in San Francisco, and that seemed to go pretty smoothly um, as things go. Um, and it's mostly mostly pub- mostly sorry, mostly private money. Um, that was a specific situation, obviously, because there was no real arena in San Francisco, except for the Cow Palace. So, you know, it was a wide open market, and you could afford to you could know, make a lot of money back, right? You can spend a billion dollars on an arena there and, uh, and probably make that back. Um, Orlando's soccer stadium was pretty good in terms of using very little public money. And that went pretty smoothly. There's a, there's a handful here and there. Um, like the Giants was not smooth at all. They threatened to move to San Jose. They threatened to move to Tampa Bay. But eventually... Um, uh Peter McGowan stepped in and agreed to build it with again mostly private money, and that worked out pretty well. It's a good location, it's a nice stadium.
3: They were moving uh, to Toronto. <laughs> they were they
2: were in Toronto in the 70s. That was a whole yep. previous iteration, <laughs> right? Um, that was back in the uh in the uh, I don't know if any of you guys had uh uh cards from the Topps 1974 series, but that was when the Padres were talking about National Washington Washington, DC. So I've got my uh Oh man, Johnny Grubb, I think it is. I have a Johnny Grubb card that says Washington NL on it.
0: Yeah, Willie McCovey has one. I, have, a Willie I McC- have the Willie McCovey one. You
2: have the McCovey yeah. one? Yeah, yours is worth a lot more than mine. No,
0: Johnny Johnny Grub,
2: Johnny Grubb, Johnny Grubb <laughs> didn't 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 have the greatest career. Um anyway, so yeah, so uh so that's not bad. Uh and I think uh what you saw happen in Seattle with the arena for the Kraken was interesting because Seattle had really had their you know heads handed to them. Um, with the deals for the Seahawks and the Mariners, and actually passed a law by referendum saying that the city had to get back a return on its investment for any uh, for any uh, stadium or arena deal. It turned out to be not that enforceable, but it sort of set the standard to the point where you know when um, they were negotiating to talk about redoing the arena. It was like, well, we're not going to do this with a ton of public money, so they managed to get away with it there. So, so there are examples here and there, um, but they are, you know, absolutely the, you know, exceptions to prove the proven rule because uh, um, there's, you know, it's standard at this point to be asking for hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, um, for for a stadium or an arena, and the numbers just go up. You know, it was only last year, right, that the Bills got their stadium, and I think that was the first billion dollar subsidy or billion dollar, you know, uh, cost subsidy. And right after that, you had the Titans and you had the Orioles and the Ravens. And now we're talking about the White Sox and it could be $1.7 billion um, when all is said and done. And again, it's just, you know, if you would ask me when I, we first were working on this book, you know, I remember Joanna and I talking about, man, this sure is a weird moment in history, you know, that we happen to have caught this trend in the nineties, you know, 25 years from now, we'll look it back at it and like, like, we'll be like, wow, that was sort of a strange moment that we happened to write a book about the time when sports teams were demanding all this public money. I would not have thought that I would still be here having the exact same conversations in the third decade of the 21st century. I assumed that we would, you know, be on to talking about, uh, you know, the, uh, the space wars or something. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no So, um, you may have just answered this question a little bit, Neil, but I I want to ask it anyway. So, are there? Can you think of any examples where a city has stood up to a team and come out on the winning side? They say, no, we're not giving you hundreds of millions of dollars in subsidies.
2: Sure. So, yep, Seattle was an example. Yep. Um, the San Francisco with the Giants. You know, they voted it down four times, and uh, between San Francisco and San Jose, and they wound up uh getting to keep the team. Um. Uh, if you don't, I mean, places, let's see where they kept the team, uh, uh Boston with the Red Sox, There was a big battle over, uh, over, uh, replacing Fenway Park and they stood up to them and eventually, um, the previous owner, um, sold to John Henry, who was like, oh yeah, sure. I can make more money off of that than, you know, off of Fenway, a redone Fenway, than off of a fake new Fenway across the street. Um, there's probably a few more, I'm um, trying to think of any place that really where they just caved and said, I mean, the problem is, and this is the problem with all these fights, is that if you're this, you know, let's take an example like Minneapolis, right? Minneapolis was the absolute poster child for years because they kept saying no to the Twins and the Vikings. They were playing in the Metrodome, hated the Metrodome, not even so much because it was the Metrodome, but because they had agreed to a deal that actually paid back the cost of building the thing with um, parking revenues and ad board revenues and things like that. So they didn't have a great lease. They had to give up a share of that to the uh, county or the state, I forget which it was. Um, so they kept coming back and saying, "We well, you know, we need, we need new places, we need new places. And The state legislature kept saying, no, 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 no. The problem with this is that if you are a sports team owner, you don't need to have a very good batting average, right? You just need to be batting over zero. So the 10th time that the twins went back, they still had the state saying no. They still had the city saying no, but the county was seven people on the county commission and four of them were willing to say yes. So they got the county commission's approval and then they still needed the state legislature's approval to let the county raise taxes because they had control over that. And they were able to say to the state legislature, okay, you know, you, you, we will approve it um, since it's not our money. And because I, I later afterwards talked to one of the main state senators who had been opposed to all this stuff and said, uh, "And said, what happened, John? Like, you know, they, you guys were holding the line so well. And he said, they wore us down, man. You know, the lobbyists just said, we're going to keep coming back year after year after year after year. And you're never going to be able to stop talking about this. or." you have this opportunity that all you have to do is say, okay, we're going to let the County pay for it. And it's not your money. And it wasn't a landslide, right? It passed by a couple of votes, but it was enough to tip the balance. And again, you know, the, the batting average of the twins owners, um, Carl Polat, and I think it started under Calvin Griffith, um, was, was, you know, at best 100, but once you win that one time, you know, you've got your, your money and you've got your stadium. So, there are, there are. I feel like there are no, um, there are no permanent wins. There are only temporary wins. I'm wearing my my uh, Save Tiger Stadium sweatshirt, which is a great memento of the Tiger Stadium Fan Club, which successfully fought from 1987 until the late 90s to keep uh, Detroit from tearing down Tiger Stadium and building a new one. And as we all know, (laughs) that was as far as they won, you know, and eventually um, they lost the one time. And now, you know, we have uh, Comerica Park and Detroit has all the debt for Comerica Park. So. um, So, yeah, so it's it's hard to point to a lot of uh, a lot of successes because, you know, it's only a success until it's a failure.
3: So with with regards to uh, legislation, um, which you had brought up earlier, uh, we had a podcast where we actually ran across a piece of legislation as a result of the Browns moving to Baltimore so after the Browns moved to Baltimore the state of Ohio passed a bill which basically said that any any team playing in a public stadium that wants to move and I'm probably getting this slightly wrong uh but any state any team that wants to move has to give uh the opportunity for local ownership like a, to purchase something. the the thing. team um something to that effect yeah and and you know it sounds kind of airy fairy and you know a whole lot of who cares however uh it seemed to work with the columbus crew right because they were ready to go the the owner uh, had already cut a deal with Austin, Texas, and and he was going. And uh, rumor has it that he or, or that um, when the state got involved and said, hey, we've got this piece of legislation that says you can't do this. We're going to go to court. The commissioner of Major League Soccer was fielding calls from the commissioner of the NFL, the commissioner of yeah. Major League Baseball and all these other other uh leagues to say hey we don't even want to we don't even want to test this is there anywhere else where that that this kind of legislation exists uh do you think it holds up if if it gets put to the test
2: i mean we don't know right because that one wasn't the ohio one wasn't put to the test either right it was more a question that they didn't want to risk it um I can't think of anywhere that has actually tested that. Um, you know, usually leagues like to not move teams just because, you know, it's, it's, it's a proven market. Um, so they will try and find a local, a local option. And again, unless the team, the owner doesn't want to sell. Right. And it's just like, I'm, I'm up and moving. Um The one example I can think of in terms of sort of having some fine print in place that uh, you don't know how it's going to work out, but turns out doing great is St. Louis with the Rams, right? Where the Rams, you know, Stan Kroenke had, had all the leverage, right? He had a lease that he had agreed, gotten uh, St. Louis to agree to that basically let him break it um, as long as uh, St. Louis had not, you know was not keeping the stadium in state of the art condition, which was you know, an impossible bar to meet because it basically was like it has to constantly be as good as the next is all the new ones. Um, <laughs> is that and, dubious,
3: you know, def- dubious definition at best, yeah, no, it was oh. I, it was
2: something like, you know, in, in line with the top twenty five or thirty three percent of of NFL stadiums. um and all he needed to do was just, you know, enact that and then, um, you know, get the league's approval to move to LA and he skipped a p- part, right. Which was that the NFL bylaws had in there that they have to make an effort to keep the team in its existing market. And again, that's very hazy and, you know, there's all sorts of different ways they can play it at the NFL. I'm sure was like, Oh, you know, we can just say we, we, we wanted to keep the team, unfortunately for the NFL and for, you know, cranky, the, uh, the, City of St. Louis went to court um, and won a whole lot of money. Um, so it's always good to have those clauses in there. And it's always good to have local officials who are willing to uh, to try to um, do something about them. Unfortunately, it's usually after the team has left or has tried to leave, right? You know, if the crew had not been up and moving to uh, Austin, right, um, then I'm sure that uh, Columbus and Ohio would not have been like wanting to alienate the owners by saying, well, we're going to sue you if you do this. Um, but you know, I mean, there's all sorts of close calls, right? I mean, the, the, uh, Colts almost didn't move to Indianapolis if the state legislature had gotten their act together to, uh, declare eminent domain on the team a little bit sooner before the moving vans were all packed up. Um, so there's all sorts of weird legal, you know, gamesmanship that can go on. Um, and it's always good to have smart people, you know, in, and in the state legislature and in the, you know, in the city government, um, and people who are willing to try to, you know, play hardball. And I I think, you know, I think the, going back to the A's, I think the owner of Oakland, the owner of Oakland, (laughs) the mayor of Oakland has, uh, you know, has, has done a pretty good job of trying to understand that she has some leverage in this deal, which a lot of cities do not, you know, a lot of them are just like, you know, going back again to the expos when they moved to Washington and, uh. The story was uh, that the mayor of uh, Williams, I think it was in D.C., came in and said uh, to Jerry Reinsdorf, who was the White tax owner, right, who's the head of the uh, of the relocation committee. Well, you know, we were thinking about a you know two thirds, one third split in terms of the public private cost. And Jerry Reinsdorf reportedly said, "Oh, we were thinking more three thirds, no thirds." And the mayor of D.C. did not tell him to get out of his office. <laughs> He said, "Oh, okay. Well, well let's talk then." Um, and that, you know, unfortunately, is the more typical way that uh, that uh, elected officials respond to this stuff.
0: Your, your story there about St. Louis really makes me appreciate the power play that Robert Kraft made back in the '90s. Oh when, man, when he enforced his uh, <laughs> leases and basically forbade the Patriots from moving to St. Louis.
2: Um. All right. So which which part are we talking about because it was the whole Hartford thing
0: oh no this is before then. before,
2: this is before that he, yeah.
0: before he owned them basically he piecemeal over the years bought up all the parking lots all the properties and the stadium oh okay Those yeah stadium and part of the lease that the Patriots had with that was that they could not move without I guess the stadium ownership approval or something to that effect so right. when no James Worthwine wanted to move the Patriots to St. Louis he said nope right here in the contract you can't Basically,
2: forked his hand. I was thinking of his later gambit, which was when right yeah. was when he basically said, "We're moving to Hartford, somewhere." I still have the uh, issue of the Hartford Current with on the front page. It just says "Touchdown" in giant lettering, you know, um, and use that as a way to get the NFL to approve the G three fund to help pay for stadiums for teams in the top six markets guess what the sixth largest market in the NFL was in 1999 or whatever it was, that would be Boston. Um, And, you know, I mean, he, he, he managed to play it very smart. So, and, you know, again, didn't want to move, managed to get the money and, uh, and uh, stay where he wanted to be. I don't, he didn't want to be in Hartford. Nothing. No,
0: not at all. Not Not at all. That was, that was doomed from the start. It was apparent to everybody. Um, it was not
2: It was not doomed to the Hartford Current or well, yeah, John yeah, Rowland, exactly, the yeah. governor of Connecticut.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned John Rowland's name and people will still curse him for that deal <laughs> to this day. And you're also mentioning like, uh, like for the Orioles, for example, part, the part of the money being sunk into their stadium and into the Raven Stadium is for like a, a ballpark village kind of thing to go up. A, I, I think about like when Robert Kraft started that around Gillette Stadium, people thought he was nuts, but that's yeah. kind of become... Standard operating procedure for all the new complexes going up now.
2: Yeah, kind of. I think got invented in stages, right? I mean, you first yeah. had you had like the Sky Dome, right, which was the first mall park where it was like it's mm. not just a baseball stadium; it's also a Hard Rock Cafe and a hotel, and a and a McDonald's. Coffee. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you had Camping Yards, which has the warehouse and has Utah Street and has you know all that shopping alongside it. Um, which then begat, you know, uh, the Red Sox taking over Yawkey Way, which is not technically part of the ballpark, but really effectively is because they own all the, you know, rights to, uh, to have vendors along there. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, been a trend over the last 30 years, an increasing trend of like, you know, we want not just the money from selling tickets, but from anything else we can sell inside the ballpark or just outside the ballpark. Um, and now everybody's pointing to the battery, this, you know, the thing the Braves have in Cobb County and saying, well, we also want, you know, a whole development that we can do of, uh, you know, of housing and other stuff like that, which, you know, I don't think is particularly because it's a, it's better economically for the ballpark or better economically, you know, either way, it's, a, you have more stuff under your control, right? You know, the more stuff you own, the more ways you can, you can make money by selling things. Um, so, uh. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that we're seeing that, you know, right now in Virginia. Right. With the the caps and the and the wizards (laughs) are talking about. Right. Alexandria, Virginia. We're going (laughs) to. Are you from the D.C. area?
1: (laughs) I originally from Philadelphia moved to, um, yes, the D.C. area. um, And no, please. No. Um, It's. I I don't I can't even put words into what a cluster that is going to be. Uh, but, if it comes through and what they're asking. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, but Atlanta, right? I mean, it seemed every bit yeah. as
2: stupid to build it in Cobb County. And it yeah. probably was every bit as stupid to build it in Cobb County, right? I mean, yeah. aside from ha- how it maybe has worked out as well as could be expected. You know, I mean, that's ridiculous for that there. Uh, but like, you know, I-, I agree with you. You know, i mean, trying to get 20,000 people to Alexandria on a weeknight is insane
1: the entire time i lived um in the immediate area to the dc metro um and i don't live there anymore so screw it it was in woodbridge and um they had the Potomac. they had the potomac nationals and i think the first eight of the 12 years i lived there they were trying to get another stadium for them near the wegmans and how many years that went back and forth and fell apart And, well, my now wife explained to me uh, Disney America that was going to go in there and what a cluster that was. And I'm just comparing the two situations to where Disney America never got built and it was a devious back and forth to when the Potomac Nationals moved to uh, Fredericksburg. Fredericksburg. Yeah. And I'm like, I I don't I don't see how this is going to work. I just don't see how it's going to go work. Um and then of course I say we'll just put a new arena where RFK is and then it's like, well that's a whole other ball of wax and it's I don't I don't know. I I I happen to like that arena uh where the Capitals play as it is and uh they're going to uh, he, there he's really trying hard to lose that. I don't know. I
2: mean, but but again, I mean as I think we're all clear here, but hopefully everybody, you know, listening to this is clear. None of these things are getting built because there's something wrong with the old stadium, right? You know, if if, if it were because of that, then the first stadium to be knocked down would have been probably Olympic Stadium. And it's still there and they're rebuilding it, right?
3: (laughs) There's an announcement. There's an announcement coming tomorrow. And I think It's, it's that they're going to replace the roof. Yes. No. They're oh. going to
2: spend, I think, seven hundred million dollars or something Canadian. So it's really only like six hundred fifty <laughs> million American. Um, but you know, I mean, the the, the it, it's not be, none of these things. It has nothing to do with whether the old place is amazing or terrible or some combination of amazing or terrible, you know, and you can have a situation like Fenway park where it went from one owner saying it's completely obsolete. There's no possible way we can stay to a new owner saying, no, this is the best thing ever. We're going to rebuild it, you know, or, you know, re- renovate it and, and, you know, keep it the way, much the way it is. So, you know, none of this has to do with the, uh, with whether it's uh, with, whether it's any good, you know, my, my favorite stat, I think still from the book um, is uh, the fact that the, farthest seat from the field at old Comiskey park was closer to the field than the closest upper deck seat at new Comiskey park. Now, whatever that's field, right. You know? Um, so there's no, you know, it had nothing. And they kept saying, Oh, we want to build a new, you know, park with better sight lines. And, you know, I mean, the new park doesn't have it. pillars. That's true. But, you know, f- instead of having, I don't know, 20 people or something like that sitting behind pillars on days when, the White Sox happen to sell out. You have nobody sitting behind pillars, but the you know nobody wants to sit in the entire upper deck because you know it's <laughs> ten miles from the field. Yeah. Um, same thing with I mean, really it's the same thing with all the new stadiums and arenas that were replaced ones that were built before the seventies. I want to say you know even someplace place like uh, like the Mets, you know Shea Stadium, which was not particularly intimate, still you were closer to the field than you were at that City Field. And I have to like City Field fine, um, but you know the you know, 40,000th seat there is definitely further than the 40,000th seat.
3: I find the situation in Chicago to be uh, fascinating, frustrating. I don't know. One of the two, I mean, right off the top, if I, if I'm a politician in Chicago and the owner of the white Sox is, is coming to me with his hat in hand, I'm, I'm laughing him out of the building because I don't have to worry about losing major league baseball. Right in the city of Chicago. I mean, you could go. You go take your team to wherever, Omaha, or you know, none of it, or wherever you want to take them. Like the Cubs are staying in Chicago, and they would need a dome there. They probably would, uh, (laughs) and some people maybe. (laughs) And and let's be real. This this is the twenty twenty four White Sox we're talking about. You're not talking about losing major league baseball anyway. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Um, And then the other one is is the Bears who are threatening to move out to the suburbs. I'm like, well, you know what? Like if you're the city of Chicago, suddenly you got to figure out what to do with soldier field, I guess. But I mean, is it that big a deal if they move out there? Like the soccer team just moved back from the suburbs because people thought it sucked. So, you know, go ahead, go move out to the suburbs. If you like, whatever. Like, I I don't understand how there's even a conversation with some of these city officials and 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 the owners of these teams it's got to be yeah. kickbacks
2: yeah no it's yeah it's not it's not it's not kickbacks you know that's the thing i said I, that we, in,
3: i said I, that Ryan, in just just so i don't get sued i was yeah, just kidding yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah i'm just so so i don't know 12 13 years ago something like that um i did an article for the, the nation magazine about called why do mayors love sports stadiums um dave ziron who i don't know if you guys know who's a you know writer and a, a journalist um was doing a special issue sports issue of the nation he was like oh write something about stadiums so i was like all right let me just you know try and figure out like what the real reasons are and i spent a lot of time talking to folks And i spent a lot of time you know trying to really drill down to you know what what is the secret here and you know, you want to think, oh, they're worried about their campaign donations. Not really worried about that. They're worried about looking bad if the team leaves and that they get voted out of office. Can anybody here name the number of mayors who have been voted out of office after their team lost a sports team? Oh, I saw this out.
3: on a. I saw this on another video. It's one.
2: Yeah, it's one. It's the guy <laughs> from uh, uh, Greg Nichols. I think it was it was in Seattle when the when the Sonics left. And when I talked to my friends in Seattle, they're all like. Yeah, that didn't help, but mostly it was that it snowed that right before the election and he didn't shovel. <laughs> so that was, um, but you know, so it's not that, right? You know, and I think it really is that, you know, the more people I talk to, and there's a great book um, by a couple of academics from Philadelphia called Public Dollars, Private Stadiums, looking at like which cities have, you know, sort of uh, greased the skids for these deals. Um, And I really think it's a couple of things. One is that just when, if you're mayor, if the entire like political and business establishment is saying, you got to get this done, you got to get this done, you got to find a way to get this done. You know, everybody at the parties you're going to is saying this, you know, you may not like it, but you're thinking, okay, how can I find a way to get this done that I can live with? And then on top of that, you know, despite the fact that, you know, it's, impossible to find an economist who does not think that these things are terrible deals for the public right i mean like literally impossible um except for the couple who take uh contracts to work for teams to say what the teams want them to say
0: we can talk about Um, worcester if you want yeah
2: we (laughs) we we can definitely talk about worcester um but uh you know despite that you know you've got these consulting reports, right, that say, oh, but it'll create this many jobs, it'll create this much economic activity, and the numbers are completely made up, but it's covered, right, you know, it's the mayor can say, well, they tell me it's going to create 30,000 jobs, and some people say no, but other people say yes, so, you know, it's probably somewhere in the middle, so this is is probably going to be worth it, you know, Um, and again, it, it varies mayor to mayor, you can never predict, you know. I mean, like I a lot of people I know in Chicago thought that the uh that the current mayor when he came in was gonna really play hardball with the Bears and the White Sox, and that seems not to be the case. Um and on the other hand, you know, you had weird random people like Tom Tate, the mayor of uh Anaheim for a long time, who was, you know, not particularly I don't think he particularly particular ideological axe to grind or reason to oppose spending. He was just a business guy who was like, oh, you know, I want I want to see why these numbers work out and managed to hold off the Angels for like a good decade from uh from building a stadium. And then the guy who came afterwards uh ended up being under FBI investigation for taking bribes for the stadium deal. So that collapsed as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, they want your happy ending, the Angels. <laughs> you know, nobody has to give money to Artie
3: Moreno. Hey, and I It's a it's a field of schemes staple. The exposing of the team friendly economist who has no degree in economics, who knows nothing about economics. (laughs) Yeah, it it seems to be a common theme in the uh, in the field of schemes articles. (laughs) I, I can't take
2: credit for this one. A friend of mine who used to work for an economic consulting firm, you know, writing up reports, um, explain them to me by saying it's just like that old Calvin and Hobbes cartoon where Calvin's writing a paper about bats and he doesn't want to do any research, so he's titles it Bats are Bugs and Hobbes is like, I don't know if that's right. He's like, no, 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 it'll be great. You know, I've, I've got something that well, guarantee me an A, I've got a clear plastic binder to put my report in.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> it didn't
2: work out very well for Calvin. But if Calvin went into economic consulting, he would have done much better, right? Because, you know, that's really what it is. It's just, we're going to come up with 250 page PDF, you know, with full color illustrations and all this stuff that looks great and is based on absolutely nothing. Um, and it's probably some guy with a hotel management degree who wrote it at mm-hmm. best um and you know it doesn't matter if it's true right it looks really good and again people are going to say what they say against it regardless but at least you can say I hey, look you know look at the pretty pictures you know if you look at the charts we've got charts it you know <laughs> it must be worth something um so there's that and then there's of course you know as as you guys hinted at with worcester there's there's andy zimbalist who uh was one of the people who you know was absolutely an inspiration for us a great help for us in writing the book and you know he and uh 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 You know, had co-written a book on sports jobs and taxes uh, right before we did, you know, talking about the economics of it. We cited a lot. And, um, you know, he was one of the people who was uh, working to found a third major league when the majors were on strike, try to, you know, be a competitor. And, uh, you know, somewhere along the way, he started taking, uh, you know, money from pretty much anybody to Write up reports on behalf of their deal. At one point, he got in trouble because I'm trying to remember the details. I think it was he had done something for Anaheim when they were trying to keep the Ducks, saying that the Ducks were a huge uh, uh, benefit, you know, to the local economy. And then he was hired by Seattle to say that, um, you know, the uh, the uh, you know say the exact opposite. Basically, we were at the report saying. Not, you know, it's the same wording, but he just changed it everything to to the opposite conclusion. Um, and then has, you know, has went ended up working for uh for the Worcester uh, Red Sox to try and justify their thing. And, you know, I mean, he still talks to me, you know, we still I still get to ask him about it and he's still still uh, cordial at least. Um, but I think you know he's he's blown some of his uh his cred with the economics community for you know kind of saying I don't think he's ever lied. Um, but I think he's certainly bent his conclusions to say, well, you know, like in Worcester, well, the stadium isn't going to do anything, but all this housing around it, that might be a benefit. And he's not a housing economist, but, you know, he went out there and and, and sort of said, well, you, maybe. Um, did the same thing with the Nets, right? When the Nets were moving to Brooklyn, it was like, oh, there's all going to be this, gonna be all this housing that comes with it, that'll be a great benefit. Um he didn't say that'll be a great benefit. He said that could be a great benefit, right? Um, Good, and, you know, it. it's the it's the it's the old uh journalist trick of when you can't actually say something definitively, put a question mark at the end of the headline. Could stadium be worth a billion dollars in in uh benefits?
0: Good. Who can say? Yeah, I, I worked for the Paw Sox for, for 12 years and uh I left before the whole transition came out, and I remember. We did a podcast just ripping the deal. I mean, you know, if I owned the Paw Sox, I would have taken the deal, too. No no questions asked. But then I heard from everybody I knew who still was there saying, no, you're wrong, you're wrong. This is going to be great for all of us, and it's going to bring in so much money to the state. And none of them could tell me exactly how, except for, oh, the player's salary. Look at all the taxes they're going to be paying. And <laughs> uh, within a year, they were all laid off. So, <laughs> Oh, man. None none of them went from none of them made the move from Pawtucket to Worcester, so wow. it's like, oh
3: sorry guys. But so since you began this this uh this journey, this slightly cynical journey over um, decades, I guess. Uh how has that affected your own fandom? Like have you found it more difficult to sit in a stadium and watch a game or watch on television or a
2: little bit. I mean, part of it is, I think would have been the case, even if I weren't writing about this and studying it, just because, especially with baseball, some of my biggest attachment to it was the history in the stadiums. Right. You know, when I was in college, a friend of mine and I took a road trip where we went to Tiger stadium, Comiskey, um, the old Cleveland stadium and Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. Um, and it was just amazing, you know, it was my first time at Tiger Stadium and, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, Ty Cobb played there, you know? And it really felt, you know, like like a, every place we went felt like a destination it felt like it had so much history and so much character. Whereas now, you know, if you did the same trip, there would be some, you know, oh, this place is designed a little bit differently from that one, but it feels like, you know, different variations on the same model. Um, so, I, you know, I mean, that certainly has, 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 I've lost some of my innocence, I guess, around sports, but I don't know if I ever really had that much, you know, I mean, because I grew mm. up with teams threatening to move and teams, uh, you know, uh, you know, doing horrible things. One of my form- the formative events of my, uh, childhood was Tom Seaver being traded by the Mets because, you know, they didn't want to pay him enough money. Um, so I was already pretty cynical, I have to say, and I'm still a fan, you know, I still go to plenty of baseball games. I, you know, have adopted soccer as a new sport since my son was really into it. Um, you know, I, uh, went to a WNBA game this year for the first time in a while. And that was fun, even though it was at, at the Brooklyn stadium, Brooklyn arena, which is absolutely one of the most horrible places on earth. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it hasn't, it hasn't helped. Right. Because I guess, I, I guess, the, I guess the, the short answer is it's hard for anybody to be a sports fan right now. You know, it's really expensive. The experience is way more about selling you stuff than about watching the game. Um, there was a, a economist from uh, Illinois who Alan Sanderson, who, uh, this is a know, real he- economist real economist. Okay. Uh, He's the guy, he's the guy who said, uh, if you're going to, if you're going to, uh, instead of taking money and spending on a sports stadium, you'd be better off taking it up in a helicopter over your city and in a paper bag and throwing it out the window over your city. Um, he, he told me about how he was talking to a a marketing guy. Um, and, uh, and the guy was, he was complaining about, oh, you go to games these days. And it's just about, you know, like the, you know, ads and the, you know, stuff going on around it. And it's like, nobody ever watches, you know, and the guy said, oh, you know, Alan, you know, we have different categories and you're what we call a traditional fan. You go there to watch the game. Let me tell you, there aren't that many of you. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. So, but, you know, I mean, again, if you're going to be a sports fan in the year in the year 2024, I think it kind of behooves you to be more into the the, you know,
3: spectacle. Right. Um, and the how many meet- how many times have I on this podcast crapped on Mark and his. And his people going and spending 25, 30 bucks to stand in a bar at the the top of the the <laughs> stratosphere where the ball game's going on and pay like 15 to 18 dollars a beer. <laughs> that makes no sense. Why do that?
2: I briefly wanted to write a treatise called uh, called. uh, uh a, a guide to sneaking down, which would have been interviewing people about the best ways to sit in seats that you didn't actually pay for. And the two problems that, with it that I realized were one, um, you know, it's kind of not possible anymore because there's just so much more security than there was when, you know, even 20, 30 years ago. And the other is a problem that I would give away all the secrets. And then right. Right. Leave them. So, but, uh, but if anybody wants to start like a secret, uh, I don't know, a, uh, listserv or something like that sharing tips on how to sit in the good seats um when, without actually paying for them then i'm down
3: with that Absolutely. well i go ahead that part of the future like the good seats are are going to be like super duper balls, and and there's fewer seats right there just won't be bad seats. so like the right. the, the the there'll be like the taylor swift seats and then the 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 rich people will get kind of like the lower, the lower upper deck. And, you know, the middle class will, you know, be on the outside looking in.
0: We'll be home watching (laughs) it on TV
2: or the or the rich people will be down by the field and the middle class will be at a bar somewhere that they can like go and stand and look at the field every once in a while and then go back to the bar
1: and sort of like market is
3: millennials.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Don't say millennials. I don't do that crap. Uh, don't his,
3: you dare! Millennial yeah, him and his and his Gen Zs. Yeah, uh, Gen, Gen Zs yeah, are yeah. a little—they're a little young for the for bars. Hey. Oh, Neil, I no, think we no, could no,
0: probably talk all night about this topic, but I, I, I we don't want to keep you all night. So uh this might be a good place to to stop our conversation for now for part one. We should maybe. <laughs> hey,
3: <There you laughs> <go. laughs> I'm actually. Sure I you have, have one question talk. that I want yeah. to get in before we go. Do it. So one of the things that we do at Stadium Journey and I, and I don't want to sound a little I don't want to sound overly self-righteous or self-promoting or whatever but one of the things we do is we we rank so we'll take a we'll take a league and we'll rank from 1 to 30 or 1 to 32 or whatever um and how we much never do you think, get it right yeah no <laughs> how much do you think that that idea plays into the whole thing because we've done a, a bunch of podcasts where we rank from from top to bottom and we're at like number 29 this is the 29th best stadium in this league and we're like yeah, "This is a really good stadium this is this is all <laughs> right we're we're pretty happy about it but you know these people are competitive and and they want to keep up and they you know i mean I'm, yeah not that I- not that major league owners are looking at stadium journey, but just the idea that, you know what, my stadium is not as good as as the one in Chicago and the one in Boston and the one in Pittsburgh and the one in, and and I need to we need to move up. We're a we're a higher class city than that. I, I get what you're saying. And I think they probably do,
2: you know, if a if a ranking comes out and they're 29th or 26th or whatever, probably aren't happy about it. But you know, but this was going on You know, way before there were rankings of things on the Internet. Right. You know, when the Dodgers moved to Los Angeles, it was, Mm -hmm. you know, the uh, the uh, the New York Herald Tribune had come up with a ranking of of stadiums nationwide. Um, So I think they're going to do it, you know, regardless um, and are going to, you know, use this as use as an argument. Um, You know, there's plenty of look, the Royals, right. Kauffman stadium, it's constantly at the top of all those rankings, right. Everybody loves Kauffman stadium and they're still like, Oh no, no, we need a new place. So um, again, I, I think, I think you, you're uh, uh, you know, you can be absolved. Um, you know, your, your uh, conscience can be clean that, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not, this is not all, all the result of rankings on, on a podcast. Uh,
0: are, you, are you trying to blame us for the A's moving to Vegas, Dave? Yeah, totally. It's all me. <laughs> They are always 29 or 30. No, if list.
3: I was going to move them, you know, I'd move to Montreal.
2: <laughs> Next time That's I'm that. on, I'm going to make my defense of the Oakland Coliseum because I got one.
3: Oh, okay. It, it, it's, it's a longer
2: conversation. Than we <laughs> oh, okay. That's, yeah. so, there you so go. There's a part two right there. There's
0: a part two. So, <laughs> so uh, Neil, before uh, we let you go, do you want to uh pump up your site and your social media presence? Many any of our listeners would like to follow you there?
2: Absolutely. So it's all the exact same place, right? So fieldofschemes.com, field of schemes on Twitter, field of schemes on Facebook, field of schemes on Blue Sky, on Mastodon, on what's the other one? Post.news. Um, we've got an Instagram that I have to get back to posting to called Vapor Texture, which is about uh, stadium designs that never actually come to fruition. Um, so, and, uh, yeah, I mean, any way you want to follow it is, uh, is fine. And I'm, you know, like I said, I'm there every day for some reason, constantly reporting on the latest this, because I guess I, you know, feel like I got in at the start and I have to see how it turns out.
0: (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Neil. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, so, uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, Dan, where can our listeners follow you online?
1: Dan Law eight three. When I'm unbanned,
0: <laughs> the band hammer uh, band oh, band man, hammer.
1: they nailed me. Uh, it's funny, is this? Uh, I'm not going to go too much into this. Guy uh, uh, retweeted a tweet I tweeted about him. That was hard to say. Um, about how what a terrible person he is. Um, and uh, I forgot that a tweet before that I had mentioned that I wanted him to. Not get seriously hurt, but just a shot to the throat, you know, with the with the hand. The old throat punch. And uh, that yeah, the old throat punch, and that I got banned for four days later. Huh. The other tweet he wanted gone is still there, and um I'm ignoring his chuds because uh I don't care. Where'd Mark go? Chuds. So Chuds, damn, all 83. Chuds, <laughs> chuds yeah. La- I'll be unbanned Wednesday afternoon. Uh all you right, can Chud. find ballpark hunter at Mark VKs.
0: There you go. Thank you. I don't yeah, think Mark that had just right. Mark had to skip out. So, uh, ballpark hunter, oh, um, all yeah. his stuff. Uh, Dave, you got any uh, stadium journeys planned for the next couple of weeks?
3: And where can yes, I Follow yes, along. I do. Bucket list item for me. Uh, so, I think last time we were here, I said the there's a trifecta of rivalry hockey games in the OUA, and I got into two of them. So, no. the frosty mug is one. Battle of Waterloo at the Yacht frosty is the mug. other one. And then the third one is actually the oldest rivalry in hockey history. And that is Queens against RMC. The very first time they played was on the Frozen uh, Bay in Kingston, Ontario. So they play. Now, RMC is a a military college with an enrollment of 1,100. The entire school shows up at this game. <laughs> I think they'd fall they fall through the ice. So No, while they don't play on the ice. <laughs> they don't play on the bay anymore. They be- that's, that's not how that works. in the OHL arena where the front necks play. Uh, and it's called the Carr-Harris Cup. So, uh, seeing as my schedule is a little bit more flexible this year, I am going to be at the Carr-Harris Cup for the first time. So, I'm super excited about that. Uh, I got some Guelph Griffins basketball coming up. A bunch of reviews to do uh kw siskins i'm gonna try i have never seen them before uh that's junior b uh, i got some junior c uh hespler shamrocks wellesley apple jacks and i have to take my rain check from stainer there's and, a team called K- the apple jacks yes man because it, they have the apple they have the wellesley apple festival there <laughs> nice. um so yeah, I have to use my my rain check for the standard Siskins. Uh so if you saw my social media post from that game, you saw Broken Zamboni on the ice. So I gotta get my money's worth out of that one. So uh you could follow all those adventures. Super busy couple weeks uh, at Profan Nine.
0: Indeed, indeed. I-, I loved your line when you posted the uh you should have you should have posted the comment you made to me oh. in private. <laughs> To, to that post because you said there's probably 20 guys in the stands who could fix this Zamboni, but yeah. instead they're canceling the game.
3: <laughs> yeah. Stainer, Stainer being a bit of a, a bit of farm a country. Farm, farm community. Yeah. <laughs> uh the problem was is, like, normally they, they throw another Zamboni on a truck, but you got to go all the way to Collingwood or to Wasaga beach and they got their own games going on. And you know, it's not like finding another hockey rink in the city. So.
0: The damn Zamboni shortage in Canada. And people. it was
3: cold. <laughs> I sat and froze my butt off for nothing. <laughs>
0: uh, all right, so that's all at uh, ProFan9. And uh, let's see, where am I going the next couple of weeks? I got a lot of PA announcing to go. It's uh, senior, senior days coming up. So I'm announcing uh, some senior day festivities at UMass Dartmouth, men's basketball, women's basketball, hockey. Uh, I'm doing senior day for Brown Women's Hockey next weekend. Um, I think that's plenty to keep me busy. Uh I may hit the beanpot finals next week. I don't know. Beanpot semis are going on right now as we're recording and uh Northeastern won game one and BU's winning game two. So looks like it that could be the matchup next Monday. Uh you can follow me if you if I'm not sure where I'm going, you, you and you really care. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Puckman Alright. And remember, stadiumjourney.com is where you can find all of our twenty five hundred stadium reviews, news item, and other feature stories. Uh, Connect with us on social media channels at Stadium Journey, like, share, follow. Uh, Audio versions of the Stadium Journey podcast. Search H-I-A-C Talk Radio Network wherever you look for your favorite podcasts. We'll show up there. And if you'd rather watch the podcast, video simulcasts can be found on Stadium Journey's YouTube page. And if you want to be part of our live studio audience, join us for our live streams every other Monday night at 7 Eastern at What is it, Dan? Twitch. Twitch? I don't know what the address is.
1: (laughs) Just look up DanLaw83 on Twitch, Kick, YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook.
0: All right. Multi-streaming platform. Yeah,
1: and I'm never going to stop it again.
0: All right. It's going to stay that way this time. We'll be back in two weeks, February 19th, and uh, I don't think we have a topic determined at this time, so stay tuned. And as always, thanks everyone for your support. Thanks to Neil DeMoss for joining us tonight. He was a bucket list guest for us. Glad we got him on the show. So, for Dan, Mark, and Dave, this is Paul wishing you all safe stadium journeys and close games. Be careful out there. We're done.